And we're back after three weeks. We are back. It feels good to be back and get back into a normal routine. Yeah, I mean, like, so after coronavirus, um, as those of you who are listening most likely know, we are located in Eden Prairie, Minnesota, which is about a 15-minute drive from South Minneapolis. Yes, about 15. And there have been some of the most insane things happening in history in Minneapolis. Yeah. What? Tell us about that, Jake. Yeah, you know, it's been, I mean, most people know with, with George Floyd's death and, and um, the protests and then the riots and the division and, and, and the call for policy change and so much of it, Minneapolis just being the headquarters of it. And then the looting and the rioting. And we've had an opportunity to be down in Minneapolis a bunch over the last couple of weeks, partnering with a church called Christ Church International, just trying to serve our brothers and sisters in Christ who have really been affected by mm. not not just the protests, but the 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 looting and the rioting that happened right. all throughout South Minneapolis. And even just Street. and just not even just um, our 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 African American brothers and sisters, but like also just everyone who's living there that is being affected. By, I mean, like um, so many. Uh, let's uh, grocery stores and uh, places where they get their resources and just everyday stuff um, that have been destroyed. And now with, within a 10 mile radius, there's not another grocery store. And so you would just never think when I, when I've been down, they just never think like this would happen in the United States. Seriously. This, This happens in other places, other countries, third world countries where buildings are burnt down, there is no access to, to groceries mm. and, and food in the city. And right. yeah, being able to come along the church. And one of our one of our visions has been how do we prop up the church in the middle of this? Not mm-hmm. not federal organizations. Seriously. Yeah. And and other people that, that that do the distribution, but saying let's let's as Grace Church, let's help prop up the church in the city. And we've seen God do some awesome things through that. Yeah. And I was even like talking to my grandpa too. We were just texting back and forth. And he said he lives in Florida and he's even still like just in just in shock of what's happening because, um, I mean, not to me that it comes as like a super big surprise. Um, but also, you know, he was saying, I haven't seen anything like this since like the riots in the sixties, mm-hmm. you know, and stuff that was happening there. So that's always super interesting. Hey, we are starting a new series. Um, I don't know what exactly we're calling it. Um, you know, just about, about racism, the racism that has yeah. gone on in our yeah. culture, the desire to end it. Um, and this is just going to be the first episode of five that we are doing, just talking about this. And and um, and it's one I, of the one of the reasons I wanted to take a few week break from doing the podcast as well is just to say, let's get our thoughts about it. And and I think everybody was so quickly to speak um, immediately after it has happened. Like, let me get my thoughts about it. Let me see what it looks like through the lens of the gospel um, before we mm. start you know, talking about issues that are affecting other people that, quite frankly, we will never, as as white people, we will never fully understand. We right, want to try to right. walk in the shoes of many of our black friends and brothers and sisters in Christ, but we'll never fully understand what they've mm. gone through. So mm. we want to try to, one, get our thoughts together, and then, two, also be make sure that we're looking through it in a gospel lens, mm. um, not in a, a lens of what the world is saying or, or saying that we should do. Right, and before we just kind of hop into stuff here, like, um, we realize that we are um, uh, on a podcast at a church in Eden Prairie, Minnesota, two white guys, you know, who have never really been able to fully understand um, what our brothers and sisters in the African-American community here in the United States um, are going through. So once again, we want to hear your feedback. We want to hear your thoughts, uh, questions that you may have for us. And also, um, 
uh, yeah. So and and, people, and and on top of that too, right? Same <clears throat> like I have a unique um, platform a little bit too because I have three black children uh, adopted from Africa. So right, these conversations, right. especially with a seventeen-year-old that is six two, two twenty-five, and is a Division one football player, and and the perceived threat that he could be. These conversations are happening in our house all the time. Mm. And um, so it's a unique lens, although maybe like for me, I will never fully understand it, but it, I'm getting to parent through it mm. at the same time. Right. Which is, right. Which is really a crazy, yeah. crazy time. Yeah, that's that is really that is really insane. Well, hey, um, so so first kind of question that I have um, for you, Jake, that I just kind of want to pick your brain about is what are your thoughts on racism today and the current events that are happening yeah. in our nation. Just kind of just kind of speak a little bit on that. Yeah, and, and I want to say this with as much grace as possible. Yeah. Um, I, I think the word racism has gotten, put everything and bundled it all together. I, I think there are three distinct issues taking place. I think there's racism, mm. wh- which, is, which is hatred of the heart. And it, it is, I mean, obviously it is sin, but it is, I hate somebody based on something on the outside in my heart. And, and we see in like first John two, nine, it says, whoever says in the light, it says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Mm. And I think that's the issue of racism. I think we've, the, the second topic is prejudice, like the prejudgment of people based on a series of negative experiences or a lack of experience altogether. And then I think the third is injustice, which is, which is policy that keeps people in oppression. And, and I don't think there's a, there's a three-part conversation taking place. I think it's all about racism. Let's end racism. And, and here's the reality of my take. Racism doesn't end until Jesus comes back. Yeah. As long as there is sin, there is going to be hatred in the heart. And the only way we battle racism is through the gospel one heart at a time. Mm-hmm. And this isn't to say like this isn't to say that oh we can just continue to live our lives as if nothing is happening right, right. because you know we know there's sin in the world so there's nothing we can do about it that's false that's yes. a false way Amen. of thinking Absolutely. and I've really been wrestling with that too myself but I think that this really means that because we understand that we are never going to live in this perfect utopian society that we are maybe expecting that the only time we will see true justice true perfection mm-hmm. and all of His glory is when Jesus returns. Yeah. And so. Yeah, yeah and, just, and, and and when you fight racism, right, and, and I think it can only be fought one person at a time through the lens of the gospel and only the gospel. It, it's, it, but it can't be lumped together. Like I think, I think the core issue right now is injustice. And I yeah, think yeah. injustice, can, I mean, there's always going to be injustice because there's always sin, but I think it can be fought for policy change. Right, right. And but I think with racism, we we just throw everything into this racism bucket. We begin to lose the heart of what are we actually fighting for. And I, I've told my son, well, my, all my kids, but but justice in particular. Look at Martin Luther King. He spoke out against racism, but he fought against injustice. Right. Yeah. And and they were two different. Like he fought for policy change, but yet spoke out against racism, knowing that there's always going to be people who hate in this world. Mm. And and you you fight that with the gospel and, and prayer, but you can change policy, and you can mm. you can literally make mm. a change for justice. Right, right. 
And even th- this just kind of little short thing makes me think about this um, post that I saw on Instagram. And it was kind of revealing the reality of uh, police officers and what they act- how they actually become police officers. Now, um, so for most countries in Europe and in the UK, um, specifically like Germany is one that uh, people look at a lot because in Germany, you have to have had gone to college and then you also... Um, need at least at a minimum three years of training to become a police officer in Germany. Yeah. Um, And I know that the case is very similar in many other European countries, but in the United States, it is so much different and you don't even really have to have a college degree. And, and then apart from education, the training that police officers go through to become a certified police officer is very minimal. And I think that is one of the things that we're talking about here. Policy change. Right. Yes, um, and that that's a great it's a great one, Sam. And 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 just for the listeners know, so my brothers in law enforcement. My dad's the police chief in Oakdale, Minnesota. Wow, yeah. All my uncles are in law enforcement. So, right. So I walked this interesting balance of being an athlete growing up in a primarily black community from an athletic standpoint, having both white children and black children, and yet having my family in law enforcement. Right. So it's this big mosh pit kind of in my in my own life and thinking through these topics. But yeah, I think it's if policy changes. I mean, my whole thing has been the police union. You can't fire bad cops. So Mm. how do we or how does the, in particular, the those who want to speak out for this particular injustice in the protest, how do they begin to create policy change in the police union? Right. Right. The reality yeah. is, is Chauvin, who killed George Floyd, should have not been a cop. Mm. Like right. he had 18 or 20 different violations against him. But because of how the police unions are structured, you can't get rid of bad cops. Right. You can't fire people. And that is a problem. Mm. And and I think you see it because you know when we when we speak about racism, one of the things, and not to go on a tangent here, but one of the things that that has kind of gotten my mind right is you have a black police chief, mm. you have a black attorney general, uh, we had a black president, we have a black surgeon general, we have a black mayor in Atlanta, so there are black people in position of leadership, mm. yet policy is not getting changed right and i think that's where we got to really wrestle is like i think if if racism was the biggest issue i think it's an issue but it's if it was the biggest issue mm. there are so many leadership positions that currently do have some black people in it in particular here in the minneapolis area right so how do we start to fight for policy change with those people in position of leadership mm-hmm. yeah that's really good so okay one of the things that i've been uh you know, seeing thrown around that, you know, I've really been wrestling with um, and have been kind of coming up with different answers for. But I mean, I'll, I'll, I want to hear a little bit about what you have to say on this. But the question is, what is systematic racism and how can it be seen in our culture? And so that is that is a big uh, that is a hot word, like a hot topic right now, uh, seeing it all over the place. Yeah. So your thoughts on that, Jake? Um. I want to say this with as much grace as possible. Yes. I think there's an I think there is an unknown systematic racism that exists based on opportunity. And and I'll give an example. I was at a I was at my former organization I was at. Um, we had the most diverse youth organization in the state. And one of the one of the things that we would spend incredible amounts of money on 
was providing opportunities for those who needed scholarships, needed rides, and, and they typically came from your inner city communities, and they were either immigrant families or they were um, from the black community, and we wanted to provide them opportunity. Well, we would spend, in a given year, we would spend thirty to $40,000 a year on making sure those, those individuals had rides to games, mm. and typically being, again, young black athletes. And one time, so about half or 60% of our organization was affluent white community. I said, what would it look like if each family that had the ability to travel would take another kid with them from the city? Mm. And one, it would reduce our cost a ton as an organization. And it would start to provide, right, experiences cross-culturally within our organization. Right. So I sent out an email saying, like, if there are any families that would volunteer to give other kids a ride, particularly kids that need a ride that come from our inner city communities, let me know. We had one family volunteer to give a kid a ride. Wow. And it's like, what's one kid in my car, in my hotel room, and I put him in my car? I, I think there's a, right, I think that is a vision of the systematic racism. And I don't think anybody did it purposely, mm. right? Like, but I just thought it was, it's just, well, they don't go to our school. They don't live in our city. They're not like me. I'll just put that on somebody else instead of saying, no, let's hmm. let's open up our doors to the young black athlete that maybe grows up in a different socioeconomic status than us. Right. And, and it can even and it yeah. can even be like that mindset of, oh, you know, like, I don't know who this kid is. I don't know if like them, like, you know, regardless of of who they are. I don't know, you know, whether or not they're going to start saying some weird stuff in my car with my child and like all that kind of stuff that like may not be seen like at first glance, right? Uh -huh. May not be seen as quote unquote racism, right? Or or yeah. but but it's but there's always that underlying fear and and hatred in the heart instead of stepping up, stepping out of the comfort zone and serving for the sake of serving. Yeah. Well, it's it's a systematic racism. You know, you think another avenue that I've gotten to see it in sports is is the idea of scholarships. So let's say I have a team of ten people, and eight of the kids can can pay the fee. Two of the kids, and and they're typically again come from black or immigrant communities, can't pay their fees for whatever reason, mm. and you scholarship them as an organization. Right. Now, those two kids take another kid's spot in the starting lineup. How often I've seen families quit because, well, I'm paying you $3,000. This kid's on scholarship. This kid should not be in the starting lineup over my kid. Mm. Right? You've got that tension. Right, right. And because, like, I paid for this. Correct. I should have a first, like, a first correct. row seat. He didn't work for it, quote, unquote. So, like, how, you know. How, how is that fair? And, right, and so right. for us to raise scholarship dollars and different things that we've done, mm prior to me getting to Grace Church in an organization, it was very, right. very difficult because they didn't see it. An another great example that I had, oh my gosh, this one just drives me crazy, mm. is I was, at a, I was at a young leadership luncheon in, in Des Moines, Iowa. And they looked around, they were talking about how we need to keep our diverse young people who are future leaders of our city in Des Moines. And they were going on and on about diversity, 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 and and. I looked around, and the 50 leaders that they had identified as young upcoming leaders in the Des Moines area were all white. And I actually mm. got up on that platform. It didn't win me a lot of friends, but I just said, like, look around the room. We're all white. Like, do you know Markeisha Wright, who mm. is at Des Moines East High School, who just who's an African-American female who just got a full ride at Notre Dame? Do you know her? No. 
Hmm. Do you know Dao Jock, a Sudanese refugee who's at the University of Penn in the Ivy League? Like, do you know him? Hmm. Like, you, like, we say we want to create diversity, but, but yet no. when the reality of it comes to it, we don't even know. Nobody's going out of their way to do it, uh, right? It's just all in the comfort zone. That's, yeah, that's, that's crazy. Yeah, and, and I don't think it's intentional, right? It's, it's, the, it's the unintentional, really, systematic racism. Hmm. It's just the unintentional situations that white mm. people do find themselves in positions with more financial resources, more mm. leadership positions. And we say we want diversity, but we won't actually put ourselves mm. in the uncomfortable place to create diversity. And I think it's that idea of, yeah, like, like you just said, being comfortable. People want to be comfortable. Nobody wants to step out of what they're used to. Um, and I think that that's all a, a result of sin Yeah, is people not wanting to, um, either having a fear, a hatred, or um, a desire to not fail, yep. right? And and they and they find themselves never changing. Correct. And so and it and it really is it's prejudice, right? It's hmm. prejudgment of another people based on either negative experiences or a lack of experience. And we see this play out biblically in John chapter four, right? Right. With Samaria, you know, like typically Jewish people would walk around Samaria. And not go through Samaria because of the prejudgments they made on the Samaritan people. Jesus says, no, we're going to walk through Samaria. And we're going to sit at the well. And we're going to talk to a woman right. during the middle of the day that's at the well, which obviously has sit in her life. And, and I think what he was doing with his disciples, he was giving them the uncomfortable experience to break down the prejudice that was in their yeah. own hearts as leaders, future yeah. leaders for Christ. And maybe it wasn't even like the like the, his disciples, maybe it wasn't even like their fault. It's just something they know because that's how they grew up. That's how they grew up. That's what they were taught. That's what their parents did, right? Yeah. And so and so, I think that's definitely what we're seeing today. Um, and then it's just become something that we don't even know is ingrained in our mind because it's how we have grown up. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and we ha we have to start recognizing it and and taking accountability for it. Mm, yeah. Um, something that I read actually was in a 2017 NPR interview, um, and it's like okay, sure, it's a maybe a couple years outdated, but I think it has um, I think the same credibility today as it did as it did then with a woman named Michelle Martin who was hosting and a woman named Lydia Diamond who actually wrote a play called Smart People. And the concept behind it was basically um, all, all four people that had a um, some sort of relationship with Harvard Law School. And one of them, like, um, or just the Harvard College in, in general. And, and the one man who was like, who like credited himself um, on on being like super sophisticated on racial and justice issues, and he had like a psychology degree, and um, but and he had like all of this wisdom and stuff to speak into like racial injustice and prejudice and stuff like that. But he's a white man, and he's standing on this platform speaking to basically um, uh, three. Three people. One was a black woman. One was an immigrant who I believe was a mixture of two different Asian cultures. She was she was um, um, like Korean and and Chinese, and then um, another another black man or something. And basically, the idea behind it was um, people who consider themselves sophisticated liberals, but that most white people in context or white liberals are biologically racist. 
And so, and, and so it's something that they don't even realize. And this was the point that the white guy, the white guy with the big degree or whatever, yeah. was arguing. This was the point that he was arguing to them. But the play was also showing his biological racism, and then the other people were pointing it out yeah. in his class. Yeah. And so um, I, I just think, it, uh, what, what are your thoughts on that being like the whole idea of biological racism yeah. Um, ingrained into people's minds without them knowing it, and then like, yeah. what does the Bible have to say about that? Well, I th- I think absolutely, and and I and I don't think intentionally, right? Like I don't think um, people that have had lack of experience with either immigrant communities, the black community, etc., do it intentionally. But I do think it's how you grow up, who you're at in school, and it's a lack of experience. The greatest benefit that I ever had was being an athlete. And in particular, a, a high-level athlete in basketball, which is a predominantly black community. Mm-hmm. And so I was often the minority. So one, knowing what it feels like to be a minority in certain situations, I don't think there's anything more difficult than to be a white athlete trying to be a Division One Power 5 conference basketball player. We're far and few between. So you know what it's like to say, well, you have that wrong about you, that wrong about you, that wrong about you, because you are white. Mm, mm-hmm. So I've had a unique series of experiences. And then my work in Africa, you know, being in Chad, Africa, predominantly Muslim, obviously almost everybody's black, and then you're a minority. Mm. So it gives you a different perspective. But mo- those are not the life experiences of most people. If you are white, middle, right. upper class, you go to a predominantly white to middle, upper class school. And then you go to a predominantly white, upper class college and then you probably marry somebody that's looks like you talks like you thinks like you and and you just don't even know Mm. and your mind is just wired for the opportunities that you have been given one of the things that really shaped me as i thought about this as a really young person we were in kentucky and myself there were three of us that were caucasian white on the team and then the rest of my teammates were black we had one white coach one black coach and we're at an outlet mall and me and two of my white teammates, we went shopping, and the other seven guys that were black, they went their way. And, and, and that, that does happen even in the athletic realm. And, and so we got back to the car. We got back to the car a couple hours later, and they police showed up, and they said, we've, we've got some young guys that were trying to break it. Is this your car? And we're like, yeah, this is our car. And they're like, well, we got some young guys that try to break into your truck or your van. And we're like, what? And so they're like, well, Come back with us. So we went back into the room. It was my seven teammates, my seven black teammates, got to the van before us. And so the police in that particular situation thought those, and our coaches weren't there yet. Mm. They thought they were trying to break into the van. Us three white guys show up. They thought it was our van. And it was a a life-altering experience saying what what black people are saying their experiences are in particular with police Mm. is actually reality. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it shaped me and it reformed my mind. The, the reality from a biological standpoint, most people never get those experiences. Right. Most people never see that from a mm-hmm. firsthand perspective. And that's why we're blown away when we see something like happened with George Floyd or we just saw what happened at the Wendy's um, where the one officer killed the, the black guy that stole his taser and was running away. Then we're all of a sudden like appalled, like, does this really happen? The white community right. doesn't know how to respond. We either become offended because they say inherently we have systematic racism or we we just deny it altogether. Right, and and right. or we come out on a platform and then we just say stupid stuff. And right, and so and it's a 
it, it really is an experiential thing. And I think unintentionally, much of white America has not had those type of experiences. So yeah. it's hard to yeah, it's hard to engage. And I think that's what that that particular article and that play mm-hmm. was trying to trying to show and yeah. trying to display a little That's bit. really good. And I just kinda wanted to like like share this kind of thing just to piggyback off of what you were saying. A quote shared from um, Shared Hope International and their article, um, Biblical Justice and Social Justice. And it says, if we have experienced freedom, how can we not pursue freedom on the behalf of others? Mm-hmm. And obviously the premise that it's coming from is we as Christians, whether we are white, like Hispanic, black, Asian, you know, and anything in between, wherever we are, if we have experienced freedom in Christ Mm -hmm. because of his sacrifice for us and his promise to us that when we believe in his name that we shall not perish but have everlasting life and how that makes us feel, why would we not have a desire in our hearts to pursue the freedom of Mm -hmm. other people instead of sitting and denying the fact that there is yeah. sin in the world. Yeah. Because racism, injustice, prejudice, all those things are it's sin. It's, sin. it's all sin. Mm-hmm. How can we deny that these things exist? Yeah. You know, as, yeah, and we, as and, white people in America. And and we can't. I think there's a there's a you know half of it, the white community that we're just going to deny it, but then there's half that wants to fight for it, but they don't know. Well, what what do we fight for? And I think that's what we have to start, especially for why starting to look at policy, right? Like inner city, predominantly black schools are funded mm. by property tax. All public schools are funded through property taxes. Well, housing values and people who own homes are just less in the black communities. So schools are naturally going to be underfunded. Mm. One right now that just is blowing my mind is Minneapolis North High School, um, which sits in the middle of so much of this, their facilities are closed all summer long to all their students. Eden Prairie, Chaska, Chanhassen, Southwest Christian, right? We're talking about the schools here in the Southwest Metro, Edina. Right. All their schools are open mm. to programming, to basketball camps, to football camps, right? To to opportunities for the students. But the community that maybe needs access to facilities the most right now aren't allowed into them. It it doesn't it doesn't make sense. Mm. And I think those are the places that we start fighting and start speaking up for. But I right. think as a white as white people, as we think through how do we fight for freedom for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are experiencing oppression, mm. we have to begin to identify where is the fight. And I don't believe the fight is racism, right? That's a that's a gospel fight. That's a change of heart, like God coming in through the gospel, changing someone's heart. Amen. Yeah. I think a lot of freedom issues are injustice issues where we need to fight for policy. Exactly. Exactly. And I was just even going to read, like, it says in Proverbs 31, 8 through 9, Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. And I think that that proverb speaks directly into what is going on today. A de- destitute means, um, just for a little definition, means without the basic necessities of life, mm-hmm. or maybe even the things that we have that other people that need do not have. Right. And I think that these things are the things we need to fight for. Yeah, absolutely. We need to be people that open their mouth, and and we've got it. But we got to do it. And so I've told my kids as, as we've looked at that scripture as a family: open your mouth with a level of intelligence. Yes. 
Like, do it intellectually with a gospel lens. Mm -hmm. And don't just open your mouth and spew off all kinds of stuff to create division, because where there is division, there is sin. God is not divided. The enemy comes to divide. So when we open our mouth, let's do it with a level of intelligence that comes through the lens of the gospel. Yeah, absolutely. And with that being said, I think that will kind of end our first episode here on this series. Tune in, and we'll, um, yeah, we'll be letting you guys know with new episodes and whatnot. Love it. For sure. Glad to be back. Hey, love you.